Hello everyone, today is August 6th, 2022. I'm here today with Connor Dryden. Connor is a financial associate. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Connor. Thanks for having me. So, we were talking about hacking medical devices right before this. Yeah, that's... uh there's a lot there, a lot of, a lot of scary things uh, uh, potentially there. Yes, a lot of scary things, a lot of unknowns regarding IoT, the Internet of Things. Yeah, um, you know, there's obviously medical devices. There's always going to be a need for uh, for products uh, within that uh Within that sphere, but uh, with that comes uh, unintended consequences, uh, if you will. So, Yes. It's interesting to see how the world has technology integration and how that's we're, we're learning as we integrate with these technologies. There's bumps and we have to round out those edges to make some sort of process or some sort of system that is positive. Yeah, no, I think sometimes you get, I think sometimes you'll get so caught up in the the positive effects of whatever that is that you you start to for, you tend to forget other things uh perhaps that uh you w- get learned about along the way um what other things um i mean so specifically it it's uh you know with with uh medical devices um you know this idea of um another body um another person um, being able to control what uh, what something else does, uh, whether whether that's a, a device, a product in someone else's body, um, whether that's a system, um, whether that's uh, whether that's an aircraft, uh, whether that is a um, you know your 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 smart device at home, whether that is um you know really it's it's a lot of probably a lot of things in our everyday lives um that we're i know i'm certainly not uh not aware of um that there's we're we're also susceptible to to risk with those things yes and the people i find it interesting like hackers they're pretty scary, but I think people, especially myself, are somewhat definitely impressed. Look at what they do in some, maybe not so much awe now that I'm a little bit more educated on hacking and cybersecurity. But when you see, hear something like a hacker stole $6.9 million from a company even when they get caught years later and that's what i found with most hackers is that unless they're internationally based hacking another comp another country 
they almost always get caught. But still, being able to break down those security features, being able to penetrate systems, being able to see a target, infiltrate, grab the target, and get out, it's very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. And I think uh, one thing that... Um one thing that you touched on earlier, um, this idea of, of reputation, um, specifically as it relates to companies, um, you know, I asked about, you know, you know, I, I don't really hear about it too much, um, just in terms of, uh, you know, like, like cyber infiltration, I guess, um, into companies, but this idea of, um, we, we don't hear much about it because companies don't want to appear weak companies don't want to appear um susceptible to these types of things it's it's it makes it makes them look weak whether it's to investors whether it's it's to competitors whether it's to um to consumers um so so that that's a really interesting idea because um You know, it's it just, like I said, I, I don't really hear about it too much, so. Yes. It's uh, like, for example, the pipeline hack. Uh, was that in, I think that was in 2020, where the oil line was hacked. Do you remember that? Uh, is this, is this related to the Dakota pipeline or is a different, uh, it, um, I think it was through the Eastern United States. Oh, right. Right. I do remember this. Yes. Okay. And even the hackers were like, sorry, we didn't mean to do this. This was uh, we didn't mean to destroy the infrastructure of your society this way. But I mean, I'm what, what were we talking? What were you saying before that? the point you made uh just about um g g company reputation or this like perceived um you know no one wants to look weak especially yes. at the at the corporate level um <laughs> you you don't want to make yourself look weak to others um as a company no um, and, you know, when, when it happens, when you're infiltrated, when someone, you know, one person in their basement is, is uh, you know, into your systems, into your operations, um, it's not a good look. Um, so. Yes. And a lot of times, if it's something like ransomware, this was the point I brought up, why I brought up the pipeline. But when it's ransomware and a hacker is saying, hey, give me hundreds of thousands of dollars or I'll delete all your files then you know that's a one-on-one -on -one transaction the traditional thinking in cybersecurity is you should not negotiate with this person because they'll just steal more of your data and keep on blackmailing you for more money so traditional thinking is or the recommended guidance is do not pay off the hackers that isn't always followed because for some entities, some companies, the it, it's a bigger loss for them to reveal it in any sort of way than to just, okay, even if we don't get this data, you know, we'll pay them because this data is worth more to us than the amount they're asking. But if we lose it, 
our company won't be completely destroyed. We'll be able to bounce back. It's probably not, it might not be a huge deal. It could be absolutely devastating. But some companies paid off and don't want it to be known because it's just, you know, like you said, reputation, embarrassing, shows signs of poor cyber hygiene, which is, you know, having good cyber hygiene is going to be if it isn't already, I would say it already is, but it's going to be very obvious to the everyone. It's a value that companies need to have moving forward. How much do you think, like, let's just take an industry, right? Something like financial services. How much do you think they put towards cybersecurity measures, uh, like system protective, um, you call it hygiene uh, measures, you know, it's, you know, obviously everyone's bank accounts, um, everyone's, you know, life savings, um, credit cards, tons of information um, is with, uh, is with a lot of financial institutions. And, you know, it, it's it would be it would be interesting to know. Just you would think at the at the surface, there's a lot going into into defensive measures, but I, I just I don't know if that's the case. Um, it would be interesting. It would be an interesting study. I, based off of being a consumer of some high scale financial institutions, we can think of like J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, BOA. Citibank, I've noticed that financial institutions have, I, are, kind lead the way, I would say, in cybersecurity in a lot of domains. The first time I ever placed two-factor authentication into my phone was for a 401k fund. Hmm. That was the first time from a private company, private financial company. And I see the websites and it seems like they take it very seriously. I've also been to the Wells Fargo HQ in South Carolina. The physical security there is really impressive at the building. And we all understand physical security. But, you know, like, for example, a small business owner, like we can all think of it like a small business owner, maybe you have a convenience store in a low-income neighborhood. Like We've all seen, like, someone comes in and they attempt to rob the place. Well, that's kind of a common story. You know, we've, we've seen these movies, we've seen these actual, you know, security cameras of people, just random person walking in trying to rob the place. So people there are thinking they have a business, the business is convenience store. When they purchase that business in that location, which is, you know, maybe underdeveloped, doesn't have the best public security, they're thinking about implementing physical security in their own private business. That's a, that's a cost that's a value they need to have in order to be able to maintain a successful business. That has now extended into the digital infrastructure, 
we, no one, now that we've all moved our business to some degree digitally, whether, you know, obviously companies have varying degrees of how integrated they are within the digital infrastructure, tech companies, the highest, you know, other companies that really just need to use it for marketing and those types of features probably on the lower end scale. But that's still, you know, even those companies, like their their finances are in banks. Their finances are in private accounts online. So they still interact, their finances still interact, you know, digitally. So it's still vital for people to understand good cyber hygiene especially when it comes to your our financial bank our financial accounts whether that be retirement accounts bank accounts credit card accounts crypto accounts they're all being all of them are being targeted right now all of our bank accounts all of our credit cards all of our crypto accounts as you and I are having this podcast, someone, multiple someones, are attempting to break in to our bank account. And our bank has a huge part to play in keeping the security. They have the majority, but we also, when it comes to our personal finances, have responsibility in that. Because social engineering, do you know what social engineering is, Connor? Mm-hmm. Social engineering is a type of hacking where you don't attack the computer system. Mm-hmm. You attack target the, the human yeah. and you try and get the human to disclose their information, whatever that may be, their password, their social security, anything. Yeah, and I think to that point, I mean, you hear a lot of, of, of that targeting, um, like the elderly community, to which it's just, it's terrible because... Um, you know, you'll you'll hear stories of of people posing as grandchildren of elderly, and you know, um, telling them that they're in a life or death situation and need money. And of course, you know these these folks these um, are, are going going to do whatever it is to uh, you know help out their children or what they think is their children and um you know it's 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 terrible um i i know that like i know the elderly in specific have been a large target in, in that specific in that so i've heard uh recently i didn't even realize that elderly i people were specific targets i recently heard a pretty terrible case of uh an elderly you know social engineering attack it's not even like it's not it's nothing to do with you know hacking into firewalls and going into virtual environments it's just going to an older gentleman who is you know just doesn't really understand so much what's going on the risks involved with cyber the risks involved with social engineering, you know, like you and I, we hear these news stories of elderly people getting targeted. Elderly people, it's more difficult them, for them to find these news sources. So they need this needs to be communicated to them. 
by a source that they trust. A source that they trust needs to tell them, hey, this has happened. You're more liable to being targeted because, and that's, you know, that's that's one hundred percent, and it's you're getting to a point about lack of education to to that community, which is is really the the situation. You know, you know, I could speak from from personal experience. It's they uh, that community doesn't elderly folks don't really you know interact or you know they're not on reading the same types of things we are on day-to-day basis their their day-to-day lives are very different than you know you know our our generation millennials or gen zers whatever it may be and i think that there's there's just an education gap with um with what's going on as far as you know scams and stuff related to that that they just they 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 don't know about and it's up to the people that are closest to to them to really educate you know like i'll for example have um like i'll speak with my grandma about um you know specifically these types of things just you know whether it's you know you you won't you won't be receiving a phone call from the irs um you know um, usually it's, it's always, it's, it's via mail that, uh, they'll contact you if they do need to get in contact with you. Um, you know, and, and every time she, she, uh, as far as emails, anything that comes up, I, you know, I tell her to, you know, there's basic measures, just look at who it's from, uh, you know, at the very, just, just who is it, what is it, who is this email from, um, you know, like just think about what they're asking for. Don't don't ever don't ever respond, but just think about what they're asking for. Who is it from? And then I I ultimately told her, you know, just call me or text me um, if you're unsure. Don't make a decision um, out of fear um, because it's it's scary. It's scary. Yes. You know, not even our grandparents' generation, but even our parents' generation are susceptible to this as they get older, as they're leaving the workforce. It takes, like, even our people our age, you know, we're in our late 20s. They have a difficult time keeping up with the technological advancements of today. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the gap is uh, is growing a little bit, I it, think. It is growing. You know, like, the millennials aren't having such an easy time using the technology the way that, you know, you gave us an iPad 10, 12 years ago. Boom. We're the best ones to use it. Well... New tech is developing and it's becoming more complicated and we're getting older. Our brain adaptability, pliability isn't there as, you know, isn't as elastic as it was. So, you know, it's getting that way for us too. And a lot of our colleagues have to be well, have to search for this too. Because like you said, this cyber stuff, 
and cyber news, how these people get hacked, how people are vulnerable, it's not that well communicated. Like, yeah, everyone knows that that massive pipeline got hacked in 2020, but people know what happened. They don't know how it happened. They don't know. They know it was ransomware. They don't know how ransomware works. And they don't know how ransomware is delivered. Some of them do. Phishing. Phishing's big. People know phishing. But there's multiple ways to get phished. It's not just through email. You can get phished through a link. Someone, if people see a link, if some random phone number sends a link to your phone, don't click it. That can be a phishing text. That can have malicious software on it that logs everything in your phone from that point forward. So the playing board has grown and is growing exponentially at this point because now that IoT has become oh you know manufacturers are able to do it at scale very easily on many products the the playing field for hacking for defending is just growing to a point where we can't even fathom it so it's an exciting time to be a hacker and to be a cybersecurity defense person exciting time <laughs> yes <laughs> and speaking of exciting times this might be a good that might be a good transition into another topic we wanted to bring up which was the state of inflation inflation yeah um you know just just at a glance um you know we've we've heard about inflation we feel inflation we 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 see it at the at the gas station in the supermarkets but but really so just at a glance from 20 from 2010 to 2020 really over the last decade inflation has been at about 2%. What we've seen in 2021 and so far in 2022 inflation is up to 7 and 9% respect respectively so so what does that mean and 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 really how did we get there um so so what does that mean inflation is just you know this idea of the the purchasing power of money of your dollar um goes down um prices jet pr- things are things are things get more expensive, the purchasing power of your dollar goes down. And what's happened, what's caused this is um, really, it's it's really, a, I think, a, a, a supply-demand fundamental that, uh, a, a supply-demand imbalance. So we saw in, on the demand side in, in, in 20, 2020, 2021, just uh, before the pandemic and really um, during the early stages of the pandemic, consumer spending was crazy. 
people were disposable incomes were up employment was down online shopping was out of this world people were buying homes left and right people were paying well over asking for prices people were taking on more debt consumer spending was at unprecedented levels in 2020 2021 demand was crazy for for everything um so, so, so that's the demand side. Supply side. When COVID hit in March of 2020, we, we obviously saw a shock. So, you know, people started to get sick. Factories started to shut down. Um, the, the, the way goods and services were delivered was disrupted. Supply chains were confused. And what that did was create a huge imbalance. So you have demand that's at crazy levels you have products that can't get to consumers and what we what we saw from this is uh, as a result of this as a result of these two things prices go up so consumers need to pay more for the product um and what's what's really what's really crazy actually is our the government um, kind of added fuel to the fire, if you will, with this stimulus that happened. So the three different rounds of stimulus, uh, it, it there was money, the money supply. Um, went up uh, due to all the due to all the stimulus um, and, and that that's another thing that really just exacerbated the problem you know if if you have a, a set a set limit of goods and you have a set money supply and then you increase only the money supply of course the price of those goods are going to go up. So inflation, that's that's what we've got to, that's what we've come to. Um, we're, we're at a point where the Fed is, you know, the Fed is in a really tough situation that, you know, the Fed, the Federal, the Federal Reserve exists for two reasons, to keep inflation steady at that 2% figure that I was talking about earlier and um, to, to seek maximum employment, make sure, you know, as much of the labor force is working as possible. And because the inflation part is out of balance, they have to raise interest rates. They, the Fed is actually right now raising rates so people spend less money so that 
people aren't buying as much. People hold off on big purchases. You know, big financial decisions don't get made. And it's, and what I think is inevitably will, will lead to a recession at some point um, in, the, in the near term um, be, because of these imbalances. You know, we're, we're in a, it, it's a, it's a pretty crazy time. It is a crazy time. And these, you know, you said it, they added fuel to the fire. We were going through a global viral pandemic. People should have been thinking in terms of, I need to stop spending right now because I don't know what's going to happen. Instead, these stimulus packages were unprecedented in size and amount, far-reaching, so that entities, companies that don't actually make any money and weren't acting financially responsible over years don't have the room to be able to take on this possible risk due to negligent behavior. Not all of them, but there are obviously some cases out there where it was this company, you know, the way they acted over the last several years, they are, there's a reason that they're about to go bankrupt because they're not able to do business because of COVID. They should have been preparing for this moment for pretty much their entire existence. And so people were still getting paid. Employees were still getting paid, even though these companies weren't actually being profitable. And since people were still getting paid, even some people were getting paid higher amounts. Demand for more goods was still there. People didn't realize, oh, wow, supply is going to be belittled so this is like this this is going to be more expensive the recession should have happened in 2020 right after the outbreak of covid we did see it a little bit you know in the early stages there i remember i think it was I think about it was one month. one month there in april or may we were all kind of you know we we saw a huge drop, um, and, you know, it was this the beginning, um, and then everything kind of bounced back. Um, Even though nobody was working. Nobody was working. And yet people were still getting paid, and the prices were still the same. But there was no value being added into the economy so we see the result of that at the second half of 2021 first half of 2022 and like it it was just delaying something that we all know you know people 
I feel, you know, there's been, I, I don't know when exactly the financial market that established in the USA became, you know, so readily watched, so readily calculated, so readily documented. But I feel, you know, I've heard about since the 1932 depression, there are recessions and then there are periods of growth. These two balance each other out. There cannot be one without the other. We have seen periods of growth and periods of recession since the economy has been documented. And yet we attempt to put off the inevitable and it was reckless. It was so reckless and I think one of the biggest reasons may be the age gap right now of authority. I think authority at this moment in time in history is very, very old and is having, I think that the authority needs to be balanced across the ages. We have the oldest U.S. president to ever have been alive. We have the oldest U.S. Congress to ever have existed. And we were talking just at the beginning of this podcast of how susceptible elderly people are to cyber attacks. Elderly people are susceptible to many things. And it's not that they need to be taken out of Congress, but there needs to be a balance between how these are approached, whose interests are really being taken into account. And not just that, but ways of thinking. We want young people's approach to be heard and valued because it's novel. There's something there. Some of it might be extremely naive, but some of it may be very insightful. Newton discovered the law of gravity at the age of 15 years old. There are some things that only young people can think of or do, and we have to value that and listen to that. And I don't know if the values of the entire demographic were instituted in the policies that were implemented throughout the world in 2020, 2021. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a gap there. Um, you know, it's, again, it's another thing that's, that's scary. Um, um, you know, the, the interests, you know, are the interests of the majority being really heard. I don't know. <laughs> um, Neither do I. But what do you see? So moving aside, inflation, it's here. We can think of the reason 
supply decreased, demand increased. There were many reasons the supply chain broke down at some points because probably because of COVID and the, you know, lack of work, but you know, whether that be stimulus, lack of actual work getting done, various reasons, supply lowered, demand increased. Now we're here, August, 2022, the last six months have looked much more bleak than the previous year and a half. What, how does that make you feel? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's exactly it. You're, there's this, there's this pending kind of loom going on right now, um, of the inevitable of, of the unknown, you know, what's happening next, what's going to happen next, you know, fear of recession, of course, is, is on everyone's mind. Um, you know, let's look at what's actually going on in the last six months. Um, you, you're starting to see, you know, one of the biggest things, housing, you're starting to see mortgage applications drop significantly. You're starting to see transactions decline. What is that a function of back to back to interest rates, this idea of the Fed um, increasing um, the federal funds rate has a trickle down impact um, that people has a trickle down impact to consumers where people aren't going to be spending. People aren't going to be making big financial decisions that is going to hurt the economy. Um, it's scary, um, because every time the, since the great recession way back in, you know, was that 1930s? That was the great depression. Sorry, great, sorry, great depression. Because I think the great recession was 2008. 2008-09. Ever since the great depression, you know, the, um, in periods of, of growth, of high growth, high GDP growth, um, you know, large activity in the economy. The the Fed uh, raises raises interest rates to try to offset, um, like I said, back to employment, holding employment, uh, seeking maximum employment, holding inflation steady. The Fed has not raised interest rates this much since you know the early '90s, and there, there's going to be an impact of just no one is going to be buying things like they did in the last few years and it's going to hurt um you know that's my hypothesis at least um so people know about the fed raising rates and that affecting mortgage rates but the fed raising rates also affects credit card rates correct so yeah there's so just when the fed raises so banks in general a lot of what how they borrow is based off of the federal funds rate. So when the federal funds rate goes up, the cost to banks increases. 
So, which means the costs to consumers taking on loans, taking on, um, you know, taking on debt increases. Whether that debt be through credit cards or mortgages. Mortgage, exactly. So, no one wants to have a high interest rate debt. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, like I said, it's, it's not, it's not a good recipe. Um, it's not a good recipe. Um, and if rates raise too quickly and, and I think just, you know, we're, 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 we're going to see, I mean, so the definition of a recession is two declining quarters of GDP growth. So GDP is just, it's gross domestic product, how much people are buying and spending, um, how much the government's spending, how much people are investing, how much, um, you know, the, the country's exporting versus what they're importing. It's just a measure of the economy. So a, a recession in and of itself is defined as two negative quarters of GDP growth in Q1 and Q2 of 2022, we've already done that. We're technically in it right now. We will feel it more, <laughs> um, you know, in the second half of uh, really. I don't know when. I don't know when, but it w it is around the corner. Um, what is? What does it look like? What does this? Because right now we're seeing. Prices rise. We're seeing demand lower, and technically we're in a recession. So that that's interesting because I've seen all these memes in the last like month of the White House changing the description of a recession. So to say we're not in a recession, I don't know. I I've just seen that meme, just mass shared. So that's interesting to know what the actual definition of a recession is. There's different types of death. I think I forgot what agency, uh, but as a, you know, the most, the one that I've heard is, is two negative quarters of, of GDP growth, which is what we're, what we've experienced. Okay. So we're seeing prices rise. We're seeing demand for consumer, dem consumer demand drop, but you're saying we're going to feel it around the corner. What does feeling it mean to you? Yeah, feeling it. Um, it's it's going it's going to be a lot of things. Um, I think just um, wow, yeah. There's there's so much there. Um, Get closer. There, there there's so much there uh, as far as feeling it. You're going to see. Um, like let's just start with businesses you're going to see businesses um not being able to produce uh not being able to generate the revenue that that they used to because of people aren't buying things um you're going to see uh or, or not just because people aren't buying things, but because the cost of of debt of taking on more debt is is high is at a point where it doesn't make sense for a business to do that. Um, so you're going to see businesses. You're going to and we've already started to see it. Companies, when 
companies are not generating revenue, expense savings comes next. So what does that mean? That means generally people start to lose jobs. So, and, and we've started to see that. Um, you know, Rivian had a massive layoff. Rivian, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, Rivian, you know, you, you're, you, you start to hear these, um, these cost savings measures happen um, in, in order in order in order to um you know make sure that shareholders are happy um but but generally yeah you're you're gonna see people not take on debt i you're going to see people not make big decisions and what's going to happen is companies aren't going to be able to generate revenue and profits like they did um and with that comes job loss and with job loss um you know you're going to have companies that are not doing well generally the sentiment will be you know downwards pressure in the economy um And it's never good, you know. No. Um, it's never good. Um, but if we look at, you know, if we look at what's happened on average, generally a recession happens about every seven years. There's some sort of correction to, um, like, you know, if you looked at the S&P over the last hundred years, generally uh, every seven years, um there there there's a correction of some sort it there, dips it dips right um after periods of of growth you see a dip we are now since 0809 we're over 10 years <laughs> what is that 12 13 years of of a of a bull market now where we've been seeing just unprecedented growth across our economy it's inevitable at this stage and now we have the ingredients as we've been as we've outlined um um for it so um you know i, I do have a question though regarding this thir 13 year uh, bull market do you think that as far as the usa goes that the gig economy facebook amazon netflix all these massive companies forming around 2008 or actually maybe not forming they formed earlier than that but they became extremely profitable after 2009 and after do you think that they had any part to play or that was more coincidental Certainly, um, you know, and I think even just in the recent years, oh, certainly those large tech has has a big part to play. And, and like I said, in, in these recent years, the the profits for these companies, I mean, they've tried to use inflation as a defense to um, 
justify to justify this but the there's been record profits recorded across all of these large companies these even these, taking inflation into account yes oh absolutely these companies are very much so a part of the problem um How are they a part of the problem? Yeah. Um, so if we if we look at, do you want to? You thinking recently or just kind of back 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 when? What do you mean back when? Or like ever since we've kind of bounced back from uh, from the from the recession. Both. Both. But I think you're speaking more about recently. Yeah, yeah. Speak recently then. Speak recently, yeah. Yeah, so um, what we've seen recently, um, you know, among the tech giants is it does does just go back to inflation. So the goods, the products and the goods and services that these companies have, um, they re- they're they're common in in people's everyday lives, and uh, it's you know I don't honestly I don't have a good explanation for it, um, but the, the the fact of the matter is their the their products they're generating more revenue and their bottom lines are are better um, is really is really what's going on and and their bottom line uh their profits so they're they're generating more revenue um and they're producing more more profit for their shareholders it's just a fact and profit is revenue minus operation expenses profit is revenue minus expenses exactly so and then you know we're, we're seeing you know dividends so when if you're a shareholder of a company you you know you know you own equity in a business you um you know you're seeing dividend payouts be very high um replenishing you know uh th- these profits back to the t- back to the shareholders so it's the these these companies yeah no they're companies are <laughs> these companies are are a part of the problem um but how yeah i don't know i don't know specifically um i wish i had a wish i had a answer a scientific answer um okay well we can ignore that i i brought up that question because i was interested mm-hmm. but you mentioned you going back to your point before We've been in a bull market for 13 years now, and you mentioned before that the average is usually seven years. So with that, do you expect this recession to be a little bit worse than the average? This will be the worst one that we experience in our lifetime. Yet. Yet. It'll be worse than 08, 09? Correct. What makes you say that? This, uh, yeah, this is going to be the worst recession we we see in our lifetimes. Lifetime. Um, y- y- what's going on? I mean, over the last, you know, as as we said since 08, 09, there's been unprecedented growth. 
earnings for companies has been crazy. Um, stock market's been at all-time highs. Um, unemployment has been at all-time lows. Um, housing prices have been at all-time highs. Um, it's not sustainable <laughs> for this long of time. Um, there's this type of growth, th- growth this long of growth, um, can't sustain itself. Um, so, so naturally, um, you're, you're going to have to have a dip and, um, it's going to come from all the, all the things we were talking about. The ingredients of this recession are, are all there. Um, and the, and the dip, it's going to happen and it will come. One big thing that I've heard, you know, there's a lot of different parts of this seeming recession in 2008 2009 a big part was mortgages and i think that the mortgage allowance has been regulated a lot better than it was 13 years ago even with this extremely large demand but we also have the big question of student loans that's a billion dollars right there a billion and a half and a lot of people are talking about it we have the question of this new this new standard of i you know a few months ago heard that these you know interest free 6 month payment plans are very popular and people are taking on these interest free plans 6 months interest free plans so say you purchase something but you don't have to pay it off for in another 6 months without interest Mm. so people are accumulating debt online purchasing debt at unprecedented rates so it seems like there's a few more ingredients to this recession there are um you know and it's it's always hard to pinpoint something um but certainly there are things i think um we we won't really know until it happens. That's kind of how it always is. Um, but as you point out, there are some question marks in in areas right now um, that things that that you know wh- 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 where's the where's the first domino gonna fall? You know. Um, I think is is ultimately the the golden question. So, I think for us, you know, like we alluded earlier, we're in our late twenties. The two thousand eight two thousand nine recession, unless people our age had their parents affected, didn't notice the. I I don't think we noticed the consequences so badly, but. Now that I'm 28, 29, and can even look at a few of my colleagues that I've known for years that don't aren't in the best financial position and aren't even in a great position to maintain employment moving forward in a recession economy, because that's important too, being able to maintain your employment through a recession. If you can do that, then 
you're not going to be one of the victims of the recession. You can still make it through. You can still have a good income and be able to keep on going. Yeah, no, I th- I think I just wanted to piggyback off that, that um, you hit an interesting point. I think as we've as we mentioned consumer people have taken on more debt recently we haven't been seeing that but the the amount of debt that people have is high it, it is at higher levels generally right now as we speak and i think you, you you hit on an interesting point of just savings for people that have the that debt is not at a comfortable level when we when we think about you know like just emergency funds or you know things that are necessary just liquid cash that is is needed for for the next recession to 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 help pay for you know your mortgage your rent your your you know basic goods and services i think we're starting i i think that the 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 amount of savings the amount that people have in emergency funds is very small, very small, very few. There's, it's a very limited runway for those types of people who had made those big decisions. So, um, you know, and we thinking about, you know, what are, what's going to happen? It's, you know, it's how will those types of people fare when, employment opportunity when when you know they're no longer employed when you know they're not generating an income um it's that's that's the those are the types of questions you know it's we will see we will see and it'll be obvious to us more so than you know us being millennials than it was 13 years ago for our parents and for people who are more invested within the economy directly Right. And one thing about debt, I just, if you can explain it to me, mortgages seem like they are constructed in a way to be a long-term debt. So you go into a mortgage, you know how much you're going to be paying in 25 years. Credit card debt, educational debt, those forms of debt are not, they're just compound there's, you know, that people, it's not the same type of debt. The amount of debt that you have from a credit card in two years is going to be more, or the amount of interest you're paying in two years is going to be more than you're paying now because you'll have accumulated interest and there'll be interest on that interest that adds on to your interest from the principal. But with the mortgage, that has already been defined for 30 years you're not the interest has been defined so there's a huge there's good debt there's bad debt debt that continually compounds which mortgages do not doesn't mean you can't get yourself into a bad mortgage where you are unable to maintain the payments over a long period of time but that's a different argument the argument is when you get into debt from a mortgage over years or even a car over years, there's a contract saying how much you're going to pay 
at the in the last month. There's a con- you're going to pay this month and your last month. With compound interest, there's none of that. You're just paying until it's done. And that could be way way more than how much you took on. Yeah, no, that's that's it. So so yeah, with a mortgage you have you know, you're paying principal and interest and in the early as you said it's it's a fixed amount for a 15 year uh 15 year loan or a 30 year uh loan and what happens is is uh in the early stages you're paying of that fixed of that monthly amount on a fixed mortgage for example you're paying um a lot in interest so like let's say your payment is is 3000 you during the early stages of your mortgage, you're paying a lot in interest and less in principal. And then what happens is towards the later portion of, uh, of the loan, you pay almost primarily principal and, and, and no interest. Um, and then throughout that whole, all those payment streams, um, to your point, it's, it's a set amount. It's a clearly defined amount up front. And, and and there's healthy debt, as you were saying, and then there's unhealthy debt, which is credit card debt. It's crazy how consumers, how people um, allow banks to generate money from people who choose not to pay off their monthly credit cards, uh, their monthly balances on their credit cards. Yes. The rates are extremely high. Um, you know, I 25 to, uh, you know, up to 40% with people with poor credit, but, uh, you're absolutely right. It compounds, uh, over time. So, you know, a 25% um, interest rate on on credit card debt. It, the the unpaid balance comp- compounds um, in, in a in a way that just makes it worse. Um, it, you know, for a little bit of time, maybe for a month or so, maybe two months, not even two months. I was investing and simultaneously thinking i have you know mortgage debt and i want to invest but i've got some credit card you know i I still use my credit cards and i need to pay those off and what i usually do is just pay them off weekly bi-weekly and i was thinking well as long as i don't accumulate interest but allow my credit card debt to increase you know, what's the big difference? I'm not paying interest. And then, you know, then I can put that money towards investments. And then I was thinking, oh, does, you know, the richest investors in the world do this, Warren Buffett. So I Googled Warren Buffett on credit card debt. And the quote or the recommendation that they said came from Warren Buffett was, there is no investment you'll make that is better than getting 17% interest debt off off your requirement there's no investment to make more money that will make 
that will counteract not paying off your credit card debt and the interest that that will accumulate. That's exactly it. So like, let's use that 17% example. You, when you're paying that off, you're guaranteeing yourself that return. So, so, so of course, you know, paying that off, it, it makes sense. You know, you, you don't ever want to take on that. And, you know, kind of bringing the inflation side that we talked earlier back together, uh, or we talked about earlier together with what we're talking about now, it's, there's actually a very interesting product right now out called iBonds. Not sure if you've heard of them, but essentially what it is is um, it's uh, the government is issuing issues bonds based on the rate of inflation. And what what's happened is so these I bonds, they pay a fixed amount and a variable amount. The variable amount is based on the rate of inflation with the rate of inflation being very high. They're paying what the rate is, which is about 9% right now. If you buy an I-bond right now, you can buy $10,000 worth. It's on, it's like Treasury Direct. The website is terrible, but the product itself, the investment itself is phenomenal because it's, it's risk-free. It's backed by the federal government, the U.S. government. You can buy this product right now guarantee yourself a nine it's like 9.6 percent return and every six months it's semi it's semi-annually adjusted so um when inflation gets evaluated again uh i think it's like in november for for this there'll be a new rate for the product um that will will also be a part of the interest that you received so if you just like bought this right now um, I sound like a salesman, but it's, uh, it's, it's crazy that more people don't take advantage of this. It's because it's risk-free. Um, but this, just this idea of, um, you know, I bonds, um, it's, uh, yeah, you're cause a, a nine, a 9% return for six months in this environment is good. Um, and then even if the rate, the variable rate is zero when it gets, when it gets reset in, in, uh, November, you're still generating half of that. So it would be like, you know, whatever that is, four and a half percent on a $10,000 investment. I'll take that any day of the week in, in this type of environment, a guaranteed four and a half percent, um, you know, return, uh, that's good. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, just kind of bringing both together about interest, about rates and inflation, this idea of I bonds is, is an extremely attractive, um, investment for people just right now. If, you know, excess funds are available. The one downside to I bonds I should mention is it's, you have to, um, your, your, your investment is locked for a year, so you cannot um, pull out anything within 12 months. Um, and then when you do um, cash it out, if you cash it out before five years, you lose three months, the last three months of interest. Um, so those are like really the only downsides. But even if you were to cash it out after a year and you lose the last three months of interest, 
That's that's not even a bad deal no, at all. It's still at least four point five percent. And that's that would that would be if the second half was zero too, which I can tell you right now, inflation's not not going down to zero um, anytime soon. So, um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting interesting thing that I learned about recently. Wow, how'd you hear about that? Just reading uh, reading about it. Um, you know, I don't know what it was. Um, I don't know what it was, but yeah, just just kind of reading, um, and yeah, that's very interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Connor, we've had a good conversation about cyber and inflation, and the state of the financial market. Actually, before we end, I do have one topic that I would like to bring up regarding inflation. We look within the United States. Inflation seems pretty bad. Gasoline went out of control. Food, very high. Plane tickets, very high. Even generally employees. The price salaries of the everyday employee is starting to grow noticeably. Yet, on the global scale, it seems that the U.S. has been one of the more responsible and the USD relative to a lot of other currencies, specifically the euro, has fared better. Have you noticed that? You know, I I do know inflation is going on on a global scale. It's not just here in the US. Um, you know, certainly the pound um, is struggling. Um, the euro, I haven't heard too much about. Um, but I know that it's more than just a US problem, for sure. Um, that's about it, honestly, yeah. Okay, I wanted to ask, but Yes, it is more than a U.S. problem, and I know that in the United States, you know, we focus on our country for good reason, but this is a global issue, inflation. Everyone shut down. Everyone cut down their supply. Demand across the world, and that's not necessarily true. I don't know about that, but supply did falter around the entire world. And so inflation is a global pandemic. And, you know, although it's bad here, it's really bad some other places. It's true. So, Connor, are there any last words that you'd like to speak about regarding cyber, inflation, or anything at all? It will, there, um, we're in an interesting time. Um, within our economy um you know we no one wants to uh enter a recession um but unfortunately it's i don't know if there's another outcome uh here in the in the in the near term um but no i i appreciate you having me on i uh enjoyed chatting with you thank you you're welcome my guest today has been connor dryden thanks for coming on the podcast connor thanks